Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on into episode 172 of the Get Around Podcast. My name is Jake Atnip, sitting in the host chair once again with my coworkers James Cook and Andrew Rosenthal joining via FaceTime. We have a very loaded episode for 172. Last week was just a nutso week where spring sports were in full effect, had so many games, so many great performances to talk about. We're going to make sure we dive into a little bit of that in the Pulse and into our Hall of Fame where we hear about some of those performances that really stuck out to us last week. Before that, we're going to talk about a couple other things that happened in the sports world with Hockey All-State, a local runner who is making national headlines, and a couple of our baseball and softball teams who are really making waves here in the early goings. That's all going to be in the pulse before we get into an amazing interview with Traverse City St. Francis junior state champion wrestler Gavin Wilmoth. I had a great interview with him after winning at 152 pounds just over a week ago down at Van Andel Arena. So make sure you stick around for that interview. We, after that, we're going to get into our Chatter That Matters where we get into our yearly debate about our boys and girls player of the year for our dream teams that will be coming out here over the coming weeks. Obviously, there's a lot of deserving candidates, and we're going to argue here live on the podcast for our favorite candidates and hopefully come to a decision on who is going to be our players of the year. So you will not want to miss that after our interview with Gavin and the chatter that matters. Then we'll get into our Hall of Fame and our trifecta, which with the recent boom in cryptocurrency, we're going to ask, what would you name your cryptocurrency if it was you know, one that you created? So without any further ado, we're going to dive into episode 172. We're going to keep the rhyme going. And keep it stuck like glue. I don't know. How about you? This episode is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. I know you boys haven't talked yet, so I'll let you do it as soon as we get into the pulse. We're going to put our finger on the heartbeat of the sports world. Get right into it, James. I think you were busier than you have been in weeks sitting at a computer desk last week. We had a copious amount of spring sports, and we are back in swing. I know you were busy. I know the sports, the sports world was happy to be back. Yeah, I pretty much was never able to leave my desk last week. There was so many baseball and softball, soccer, tennis, lacrosse, track meets, golf, everything going on. It is just it's just been it was a crazy week. A lot of stuff going on, which is good for us. I'm happy. I mean, we talked about the schools possibly shutting down with a governor recommendation. That didn't happen. We did have one school with Kalkaska shut down for a little while uh, last week. They'll be close to the end of this week. But everybody else in full force, full swing if you will, and it's been exciting. I want to talk about a few of those things that are going on, and I guess we'll start the episode, James. You mentioned a couple of teams that really caught your eye last week with baseball and softball, who already are out to a hot start, and we can't go over all these games because, like we said, I think we probably had a, it seems like 100 (laughs) games last week, but who stuck out to you guys last week when you were taking phone calls as uh, some of those front runners for the season? Um, Well, I mean, by sport, I mean, if you're looking at, at softball, Gaylord is nine and zero. Traverse City West has been has been really hitting the ball and pitching very well. They seem, I think, almost deeper than they were two seasons ago. I think they're getting more hitting from more more areas of the lineup. You know, they West like won their first four games by a combined score fifty five to one. Yeah, they've just been destroying people. You know, and they've got more pitchers than just Brittany Steimel now. So the pitching staff seems deeper. The batting lineup seems deeper. Gaylord is nine and zero, and they're starting six freshmen, including Avery Parker, who was our Hall of Fame last week. And, you know, after throwing a perfect game in the first game of the season, but I mean that, that they're going to be good for years. You're talking about six out of nine starters are freshmen. Are freshmen? Yeah, and they're putting up eighteen runs a game. <laughs> yeah, they're nine and zero, and Trevor City St. Francis has been killing it in softball too. You know, I mean, they had a doubleheader just the other day where they had. Pitcher throw a no-hitter in the first game and then one throw a perfect game in the second game. You can't get much better than that. You don't even need anybody to bat, man. Um, and other teams that have really really taken off, I think Elk Rapids in soccer has shown itself to be, I think, maybe the, the, the team around here that's maybe most capable of making a run, although there's you know definitely others like Traverse City West, of course. In tennis, Traverse City St. Francis, ranked number two in the state, and they, I think they beat the number three team in the state seven to one in a dual meet last week. So, you know, they're looking like a team that's going to be a state finals contender this year too. So is Fosgard coaching the girls as well? Yeah. Okay. So, so kind of looking to keep that magic alive from the fall, maybe uh, turn some more state championship caliber uh, players out in the spring here. 
yeah, get the girls and the boys into the state finals in the same year. I, I don't know. Are they doing the format for the girls the same as they did for boys? I believe so. I don't think that they're changing it throughout the year. Um, it would okay. it would kind of surprise me if they changed it and made it any different. Yeah, I think that team format, I think, is something that St. Francis really excelled at this last year in, in boys, and I think this year it will help them in girls too. Do you want to add on soccer? Charlotte girls have not given up a goal yet through three games, uh, outscoring their opponents eighteen to nothing. There is a game that I'm already circling right now: Charlotte Elk Rapids, four twenty nine at five p.m. That game's going to be at Elk Rapids. Um, you know, we, we I remember last year Charlotte football had a game with Glen Lake, and that was like the ultimate. That was like one of those: are you are you real, like are you good or not? Game. This is definitely going to be one of those for. Uh, Northern Michigan with uh, Charlevoix and Anna Kate Smith. Yeah, and Boyne City has been another team that's been pretty solid in the Lake Michigan Conference. So that that league is kind of top heavy. Yeah, and they uh, already took out what Traverse City Central big time, didn't they? In the first couple games of the year. Yeah, they like Mercy them were close to like ten to one, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, against Traverse City Central. I mean, a, a Division One school, um, and then Elk Rapids turned around and beat them. I think two to one a, a day or two later. But you know, I mean, that was a big win. Uh, both those teams have had some players shuffled in and out of the lineup because of quarantines. But not, not it's just... kind of like how the Northwest Conference was, where it's like a three-team race for basketball. LMC girls soccer is going to be the exact same way, and it's going to be awesome. Now, question: I, the one, the one sport that I don't think we mentioned anybody from yet, baseball. Any baseball team stick out for you guys last week? A lot of games were canceled. First off, because of between snow and just uh, COVID stuff, and like you know, a lot of teams were finding it hard to play games, but I, I think right away you gotta look at Traverse Day Central and Traverse Day St. Francis with what they were what they're coming in with and what their youth is. Do you throw Gaylord St. Mary in the mix based off what they could have done last year, James? I'll I'll, I'll, actually, I'll actually interject there. I say no. I say no. I think they'll be good. I don't think they're gonna be what they were the previous four years. But I think they're gonna be a good team again. Yeah, I don't think that they'll be a slouch by any means, but after talking to Matt Nowicki even he knows it's going to be a much, 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 much different year for Gaylord St. Mary. I mean, they lost like the like ten seniors. They lost their whole team almost, who who was in four straight semifinals. So, I think what he said is he's got seven guys who are starting now who basically they they did not see the field for varsity before. Yeah, and Traverse City West has started off this season pretty well too. I mean, they swept Gull Lake, who is a a pretty good downstate program that's that's usually pretty good year in and year out. So. They've started off well, and it looks like TC baseball just in general is pretty healthy. I saw a couple scores from Suttons Bay that were pretty lopsided last week too, so that might be another team that you might want to look at. Yeah, they've been having some good games too on the, on the baseball side. All right, now uh, one, one thing. One, one more thing. I, one more thing. I kind of want to mention. This is something that a note I found after uh, writing the story in the MDHHS testing story, and I was talking to Lee Cobb of the Trevor City's uh, American Legion League is that they're actually going to allow graduated seniors from Traverse City Schools to play on 18U teams. So contact him if you're interested in that. If you're from outside the area, he said he'll try and find a spot for you. But uh, so obviously a lot happening last week. I mean, we're just getting started here. I mean, this season got pushed back a week, but all of our spring playoffs are still intact, according to the MHSAA, all still on schedule for where they were previously when we started this year. So let's keep it going. I mean, we already got some games in. And, I mean, James, we've said this on this podcast for three years. COVID or no COVID, we're still lucky to be able to get games in here before May 1st. Really. So if things are happening, if things are moving, we had that busy of a week last week. I think everybody's pretty excited to be uh, rocking and rolling for 2021. Yeah. And I'm looking, I'm looking out my window and my, my dog's barking at the snow because here we are almost mid-April and it's snowing again in Traverse City. So... You, you just brought this up. I just looked. Just a quick tidbit. Um, that's uh, Yesterday was my three-year anniversary here at the Record Eagle. I thought you said, oh, yeah, mid. I, it, it snowed 15 inches the day that I moved to Traverse City three years ago. Like, on April 15th, it snowed 15 inches. So, like, I knew from the time I got here that we were not in the clear in April. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, um, as, as long as the weather cooperates and everything else, I know we're going to keep on moving um, you know, somebody who has kept on moving, I just want to make a quick comment about this. I, I know uh, we're trying to get a little bit more on this, but Des Linden, I know everybody around here knows that name, especially if you're in the running community, but set a world record for a 50K run and has now kind of like blown up in national media. I know, Andrew, you're trying to get a hold of her, 
and uh, and we, we've have had a lot about her. But man, what an accomplishment once again from just probably one of the freakier athletes ever um, on this planet. You know, I think the coolest part about that story is she pretty much had to train and do the race all on her own. You know, it was her. A lot of athletes around the nation have had to do this because there's not really a lot of marathons and big races running. So they're creating their own races. She got 20 or 30 runners to run the pace she wanted to do for the ultra marathon and went to some bike trail in Oregon and did it. Now, it's not technically a world record because the IAAF or the World Athletics Federation doesn't consider races world record unless they meet this like whole list of circumstances. And one of those was that half the race has to be on half the terrain. It was run on and they did a couple laps around this bike trail. So that's what kind of disqualifies them from that. So, so, so it's, they're going to call it a world best in the IAAF, but nonetheless, I mean, first woman to break three hours in the 50 <clears> K <throat> She breaks the, mer- the the record by a landslide. I mean, like, the the next girl up was some was a girl from Britain, and she had like three oh nine, and even tweeted a congratulatory message to her. I mean, she knew she was going to break it. Now Des is coming back into marathon running. She's going to be running the Boston Marathon again this year in October when it's supposed to happen. She got to throw out the first pitch at the at the Red Sox team today, and hopefully, we're going to get to follow up with their first story on her. There's another one for Des. That's just awesome. I, I we love that we get to get some crazy athletes like that and i look back after hearing about a couple of stories that we did this year and just like how much like endurance sports and stuff like that has kind of permeated the culture up here i think it's awesome now one more thing we got to talk about on the pulse is hockey all state that came out this week we had 11 local athletes make the team one will dawson make first team all state he had 17 goals and 17 assists for traverse city central this season obviously leading the trojans out there to their second consecutive regional title um, joining them, him on the All-State teams with Traverse City West forwards, Tyler Esman and Michael Skirmerhorn. They were led the way with seven local second-team selections. Traverse City Bay Reps had Caleb Miller, Aaron Ackerson, Judd Lawson, as did Traverse City Central's Ethan Vanderroost and Grant Lefave, all earning second-team honors. Ben Polomsky from the Bay Reps and Carson Peters from TC Central, along with Derek Hebner from Petoskey, all drew honorable mention accolades. That's, that's still quite a few kids in, in a shortened season to make all state nonetheless, don't you guys think? Yeah, and seven second teamers. That's that's a lot. I mean, I mean, Will Dawson, you know, we we've talked about him this this season. You know, he he passes the eye test and he is head and shoulders the best hockey player in northern Michigan. You know, from what from the games that I saw. And not that's not disrespecting anyone else. It's just one of those things where you go watch a Traverse City Central hockey game and it doesn't matter who they're playing Will Dawson is the best player on the ice and it and it shows like just being a an average hockey fan you're just like yeah that kid's a lot better than everybody else <laughs> and uh especially you get the chance to um uh look at him this year it'll be our last chance to see him he's going off to the juniors next year if you want to listen back to that podcast that we had Will on not very long ago, uh, you'll kind of hear about his story and where he is headed after this season. We talked to them right right before that uh, game against Marquette, um, in which they fell. So uh, make sure you give a listen back to another one of the friend, another friend of the podcast, and somebody who is looking at maybe even more accolades here in the near future. So make sure you stick stick tune to the Record Eagle to see what happens with that. And that is going to lead us into our interview with a, a state champion, another person who just turned heads across the state. Traverse City St. Francis Jr. and state champion at 152 pounds, Gavin Wilmoth. Let's give it. Listen to that interview now. The Get Around Podcast is very, very excited to welcome in Traverse City St. Francis Jr. state champion wrestler Gavin Wilmoth. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, good to be here. Uh, we got, once again, a state champion to join us here on the podcast. It's always awesome to hear from these top-tier athletes. Before we get to hear about his journey all the way down to the finals this year, we're going to dive into our Freaky Fast Five and nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Five rapid-fire questions to get to know Gavin a little bit. If you get to pick two celebrities or two cartoon characters to be your parents, who are they? Homer Simpson and I don't even know her name, the 
girl from the office, Pam Beasley Pam from the Beasley. office. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. That'd be at least a very humorous life. Yeah. Right, right? There'd be a lot of donuts. What's the weirdest what's the weirdest trash talk that you've heard during a wrestling match? All right, so in uh regional finals or yeah, regional finals or district finals, I pounded the kid like twelve to three maybe. And uh, he told me he would see me next week. And did he see you next week? Yeah, I beat him in the finals even worse the next week. So was it, that was just like, man, you put you set yourself up, didn't you, kid? Yeah. <laughs> if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be and why? George Washington. Just because it's George Washington. I would love yeah, to. But his teeth and the cherry tree and all those things. Yeah. I, I think I heard that some of that is just like not even close to real. I have no yeah. idea. But who knows? That's why you got to sit down and have dinner with the guy. You got to ask him all those questions. Yeah. Alrighty. What's the perfect temperature to have the thermostat in the house at? 70 degrees. Okay. So is that is that all year round or does it have to go cooler or hotter in a certain season? During wrestling season, I like it a little bit warmer because when I cut weight, I, my body actually gets really cold all the time. Okay. It's not like trying to make it a sauna so the whole house is just like you're no. constantly sweating, right? No, I was trying to make it comfortable. What's the craziest thing, I guess to follow on that, I don't know if we're at five or not, but what's the craziest thing you've done to cut weight? I like to keep it pretty safe. I mean, guys used to do some insane stuff, but probably just sauna, hot tub, back and forth, but... I don't like to do anything dangerous. <laughs> Probably best to stay out of that realm. But yeah. uh, that was the Freaky Fast Five, a nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Uh, so, you, you, so you win the state championship at 152. I believe you only had uh, one loss on the season. Yeah. Uh, how was the momentum and the run of this season all the way to the finals? Did you kind of feel like you had it in the bag with the confidence that you rolled into it with? Yeah, in the off season, I improved a lot from last year. So I just visualizing that the whole year, that state finals match. And then as the season progressed, I was really feeling confident. And I started to see where guys were falling in the weights. And I'm like, I can do that this year. So how focused were you? Were you, were you just focused? And did you stay at 152 the whole year to like stay there and know that was your goal, that your target, um, your target state championship? So originally, I was going to go 160 at the beginning of the season, because I was pretty heavy in the summertime. I was in the mid-170s, and the weight was kind of just coming off during the season, and I saw that 52 looked pretty good for me. It, but actually, most of the season, I wrestled up to 171, and um, my one loss was at 189 to Division One number 3. Okay, so you definitely were way out of your zone there, taking that loss, and you were able to kind of spread all the way across. How much does... Wrestling in a 189 match or a bunch of 171s help you when you get to the deep stages of a 152 bracket? It's You you learn to be more explosive, to have to um, finish on those guys and stay in good position so they don't roll you over. So I feel like I'm just a lot more solid and explosive when I wrestle guys my weight. And it's like uh, it's almost like a donut for a baseball bat where you're, you're swinging with the weight on and then you come to these smaller guys and it you snap them down real easy. You just throw them around. Like what? How much are the styles different between 152 and say 189? You know, when I wrestled, it was kind of you know it was different from weight class to weight class and stuff. You wrestled everybody, and what have you noticed the differences between your weight classes? 189s around those weights, the heavier guys, they're going to use a lot more just basic snap downs and their strength. But around 152, they're going to be a lot quicker and use more scrambling. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you do anything unusual or out of the ordinary to try to throw your opponents off, or are you straight up? I'm a pretty straight-up wrestler. I just use basic technique. Now, I, I know that you said that, um, obviously, you had Andy on your team last year who won at 152. Um, you kind of, like, step into that slot, and, and you defend that state championship for Traverse City St. Francis at 152. How much did you kind of talk to him about the wrestlers in that bracket? How prepared were you from watching him make that run last year? What kind of... What kind of made it feel good to slide in that 152 spot and keep that uh, it, in Traverse City? So Andy, actually, he's um, oh, um, over in Iowa right now, and he was locked up in his dorm from coronavirus. So he asked me to send me or send him all of my film from the season, and he said he reviewed uh, like around 10 hours of film, and he also watched um, the guys I was going to be wrestling. And for Easter, he got to come home for the weekend. 
So he spent that coaching me at the state finals with all the intel he'd been gathering. So you kind of you did have a little inside track then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. How much did that help? I felt like it tremendously helped tremendously. It, I felt really comfortable having uh, him and Coach Dimas in my corner. I not uh, not many other guys would want in that corner. I know for him, like he kind of jumped on Iowa as a walk on, and his recruitment didn't really start until late. But what for you? Uh, what What are your plans after uh, high school? As of now, I've been looking at the Citadel, haven't talked to them yet, but it's just an interesting school I'd want to go to. I'm looking for a military future, but just Division One, somewhere I could end up uh, starting eventually. Well, what is recruitment like for wrestling, and how does it differ for from like uh, basketball and football, where you might have coaches come to your games and stuff like that? Well, I think it's a lot easier for a wrestling coach to recruit because they can actually watch you against – just one-on-one not you with the rest of the team so they can and they get an idea of like you one is an individual at the state you're good at this and i think they they'll uh the really good kids they'll come watch wrestle but you gotta send you gotta send their uh your video and stuff so now you win a state championship as a junior you obviously have a whole nother year left what do you think or what was the goal of that what do you think that does for the possibility of maybe getting some more eyes on you or, or like you said, when they recognize what you're able to do at the state level, um, what, what, do you, what are your goals for next year building off of a state championship? Uh, I just want to dominate next year, really, get a lot better over this offseason. I go down to Grand Rapids and wrestle three days a week at a club down there. It's pretty good. We had five state champs in the club. But just go really hard all offseason and be ready for the season. So are you, so you're a year-round wrestler then? Yeah, I don't do any other sports. I used to play football, and then I quit. Okay. Do you do, like, all different kinds of wrestling during yeah. like, the offseason, like the freestyle states I know are coming up? That's actually what we're doing right now. We're uh, training for freestyle states. Are you, well, what do you, some people say they're better in freestyle than they are folk style for you. What, what do you prefer? Well, I don't have a big um, background in freestyle, but I'm a strong, powerful wrestler compared to most of the kids at my weight, and that's really beneficial for freestyle. It's just more throwing base, right? Yeah, and uh, there's not the top and bottom aspect either. Yeah, it's also it's all on your feet. Mm-hmm. Unless you can turn. Is it still the same where you have like uh, just a certain amount of time to turn a guy and if you yeah. go back up to your feet? Yeah. yeah, like 10 seconds or something. Do you have any superstitions um, in wrestling, things you always do before a match or after a match or anything or, or, or match day? Um. Yeah, I like to get up really early on match days and take a cold shower, like a really cold shower for about five minutes. I feel like it gets me ready to go. Now, wrestling is obviously, I I think, for whatever, somewhere between three and five minutes spans, probably the most grueling physical activity that you can possibly do. How do you mentally prepare yourself for like, kind of like fighting for your life three times five minutes and just like it's you versus another person how, how much of like a I don't know how much of like a primal instinct is that the way I get prepared for that is going really hard in practice and uh, wrestling with my coach who's really good <laughs> but for the preparation right before the match I just try to get into like clear my head completely get a warm-up get a, a hard sweat going so I'm sweaty out on the mat I don't really think about it during a match I kind of almost blackout and i don't really feel how hard i'm breathing and stuff but during practice you know that's when you put in the work and get in shape get ready for that what's what uh, just real quick what's the most important stretch for you to do before before a match you know the hurdler stretch where you stick your one leg um behind you and the other one out in front of you i do that on both legs it just gets my quad hamstring lower back everything loosened up my knees flexible how different was this season with having to do the testing on, on match day? That wasn't really a big deal. We just kind of at lunchtime came, put the swab up our nose, and it was a rapid test. We never had any issues with it. It didn't really bother me. Mm-hmm. It, it was probably worth not having to wear a mask during competition, right? 100%. <laughs> now, what's your, what's your favorite tactic that doesn't have to do with technique or, say, um, you know, skill? There's got to be a, some other mental tactic or anything like that that you use on the mat or even off the mat to get the advantage on your opponent. Uh, so even if the kid's not, not that much worse than me, 
what I like to do is if I get a takedown and uh, a lot of times I'll let my kids up because I'm a lot better on my feet. I really like to shove their head down and it makes them a little bit frustrated and that opens up more opportunities against a more highly skilled wrestler. Okay. That makes sense. Are you more of a shoe guy or a lockup guy? Uh, I pull a lot of snap downs, but I also shoot a lot. So, okay. Unpredictable is what it is. Yeah. That's how you win state titles. Unpredictability, <laughs> baby. That's right. Because I'm sure, because that's what, what, what do you look for when you're breaking down film of a guy that you know you're going to wrestle, especially somebody like, you know, who goes, oh, I'm going to see you next week. And you kind of already did it. But how do you break that down? What are you looking for to kind of, uh, to, you know, to beat him? Uh, I look for the way he ties up to see what he's trying to open up shot wise and to see what I can open up from his tie ups. And I look at him on top to kind of see what he does, the best breakdown, so I can figure out the uh, quickest way to stand up. And any, like, cheap home run moves that they're going to try to hit on me if they're down. So, so I just be wary. Okay, okay. I could, I could imagine that. The only time you could actually see what somebody's doing when they're on their back is if you watch it while they're on somebody else's back. <laughs> yeah, how, how much of the, is the scouting uh, aspect now? I mean, when I wrestled, it was, like, not a thing. Our coach would tape our matches, and then you would watch own to grade to kind of critique yourself and that was it you never saw any of your opponents before you wrestled them but but nowadays you got that that avenue how, how big of an aspect is that most of the season i don't really look at film i look at my own film the or for the purposes of improving but i don't scout out other opponents but later on in the season when the matches get a little bit tougher uh it, it's really helpful for me some kids don't like it and it messes with them because they think too much about it. But for me, I can really utilize it. And I think it helps me score some points in the match. But yeah, especially if you ID if a guy has definite tendencies. Yeah. You know, or only only runs two or three moves consistently. You know, you can kind of prepare for those. Yeah. Now, I know you said you were pretty confident coming into the finals. And, and you were, you know, really visualizing that. I, I know when we talked to you right after the state finals, you said it's been a lot longer than just this season. How long have you been focused on wrestling, and how long does it take an athlete like yourself to get to the get to the state championship level if you're thinking about it all the time? So I started wrestling in seventh or in sixth grade, kind of. It was more of a club thing, only a couple days a week. And in seventh grade, I really fell in love with the sport, and from that moment, I started visualizing myself in the state finals and wrestling all these kids in high school. And it takes a while, takes a lot of hours on the mat with technique and just a lot of hard work. Wrestling guys are a lot better than you getting beat up on, but eventually you see massive gains. What's your, so what's your worst story of when you started out and, and got whipped up on? I don't think I won my first probably eight matches in seventh grade, and but for my getting whooped up on, I went down to iowa this summer and i wrestled with eric jurgens who's a two-time national champ and he beat on me for about 30 minutes relentlessly oh. it's terrible but it, i think it made me a lot tougher it was absolutely terrible <laughs> i love that description now uh I, I know you said that you're looking to go you know hopefully military route or division one I'm just, what have you seen out of being at camps at Iowa and like what you just said um, about the level of competition at that level and kind of what you have to do over the next year to get there? I mean, at the, up there, I have some room to close, but the kids are basically just technically sound, like super technically sound, like almost perfect shots to score. You have to have really good defense, but I can definitely close that gap over the summer. Now, we noticed that you have a 703 area code. That's Virginia. Yeah. What's the story behind that? So up until I was in seventh grade, we lived in Virginia, but my parents are both from Michigan. My dad's from Warren, and my mom's from Davison area. And my dad sold his company, and we decided to move to Michigan, uh, Traverse City, where they both vacationed as kids. So just stuck with the number forever. Is this is this so? Is this the only phone number that you've ever had? Yeah. Okay. So that you just rock rocking it out. So it'll be like that forever, hopefully. Hopefully. Always have that uh, story. What's uh What's better, Traverse City or Virginia? Definitely Traverse City. I was gonna say like Virginia's probably got the mountains, but uh, 
No, we're in the D.C. area, so it's a lot of city, not much to do, really. All righty, Gavin. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at the Get Around. It was a pleasure having you on. Congratulations once again for that uh, state championship at 152 pounds for Traverse City St. Francis, and we look forward to a lot more wins from you next year. Thanks for having me. Another huge thank you to Gavin for joining us here at the Get Around. State champions already make their way into the Hall of Fame and now make their way onto the guest list. I mean, we have a pretty prestigious guest list that has come through here nowadays. We talked about a couple of guys who were made All-State who we talked to earlier in the season. But nonetheless, you know we like to have the best of the best. That interview is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's is freaks about fresh bread, meat, and veggie because that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky fresh, freaky fast. Jimmy John's freak yeah. Let's go ahead and get into the chatter that matters. This is where it's going to get fun, ladies and gentlemen. We have two conversations to start and finish, hopefully, here on this podcast for episode 172. Boys, I guess it's just a question. Do we do boys or girls first? Because I don't think either one is going to be very easy. No, I don't think it's – it's not a year where it's a, a, a clear cut, I don't think. And that could just be because of a number of things, like between games being canceled, the matchups we wanted to see, just like not really getting happening. I mean, the Mansell and Ellsworth game was supposed to like be a stars. You would have had Jaden Alfred and a pair of six four kids and Jaeger Grisfeld, Bradstein. Like a lot of those games just got canceled. Yeah, between games being canceled, and and I think that I don't know. I think basketball this year was just kind of deeper with talent. You know, not that previous years haven't been. It just seemed that basketball teams were loaded this season with stars. You know, we're going to have a hard time picking out who the, the two best ones are. And kind of like you said, I feel like a lot of teams had at least one or two guys. I mean, you look at, like, Leland. You look at Charlevoix for boys. I mean, if you look at girls, you look at, obviously, Glen Lake. Or you look at the deep runs, like Belair. Cadillac had a couple of girls. It just really depends. Like, production getting taken away one way or the other. So you're not going to see somebody who's that uh, up and above front runner. So... Definitely going to be a very interesting conversation here, but uh, nonetheless, I think we have about five, five finalists for each one of these boys and girls. You know what? I'm just going to make the executive decision, and we're going to talk about the girls first. All right. All right. So we're going to go ahead, and we're going to talk about the girls player of the year. I have five candidates written down here, and I know that we've all kind of talked about this going in, and James, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of pick two candidates that I'm going to, I'm going to kind of pine for here for a second. And I want you to give me back the stats here, and then we'll see what you guys think there. But I'm going to read through this list of candidates that we have kind of agreed upon as the three of us, and then we'll go from there. So, in no particular order, uh, it is Leland's Olivia Lowe, Glen Lake's Grace Bradford, Benzie Central's Ellen Bretzky, Cadillac's Molly Anderson, and Charlevoix's Taylor Petrosky. So that's five very good basketball players here in the area this year. Molly Anderson, mind you, is our reigning girls player of the year she won it as a junior last season and she moved to the point guard position this year um so it was a little bit of a dip in her stats but Cadillac basically I mean what they only lost one game until they lost out of the season so you know she was very good for that team but uh one person I'm going to bring up and I'll start I'll start the argument here will be Grace Bradford I have to have some sort of a idea because I feel like I saw Glenn Lake I think five maybe even six times this season and, you know, Grace Bradford, the cool, the cool part about Glen Lake is that they were so balanced that you could tell, you know, exactly what, what Grace did when she was on and off the court. I would really like to know what her plus minus for the season was because I feel like that would have been the best way to kind of quantify what somebody could do on a team like Glen Lake. But you know that as a player, at least in my eyes, and, and an eye test as well, um, even though I think she averaged, hey, James, what was her averages? Uh, she averaged 16 points, 7.5 rebounds, 3.3 assists, and 3.2 steals, plus a half a block a game. Yeah, so like, what, I, you can't, once again, you can't add stats because her teammates were so good. But you think about Jessica Robbins with like three blocks, seven rebounds, Grace Fosmore probably up there close to seven, eight rebounds a game. I mean, Ruby Hogan doing the same type of thing, and then points getting across the board. Um, I know that you had probably a few of those girls who were right around 10 uh, on the rebound. So, you know, that like Grace wasn't doing it all herself. Uh, but I, I know when you see Grace Bradford on the court, you could see she could shoot from the outside. I mean, she was just such a menace on the defensive end with her length and her size, uh, along with a couple of those other girls on Glen Lake. But, 
You know, you saw Grace Bradford everywhere, and she barely came off the court uh, for you know a team that we saw dominate Northern Michigan. Yeah, well, barely came off the court when games were close, but they had a lot of games that were not close. So it would be interesting to see how many minutes she played. I think that would be – the plus minus would be interesting, and I think how many minutes that she played. Yeah, because the fourth quarter rolls around. they did those out to a full game, what her stats would be. I mean, you know, she would be over 20 a game if, if she had played the entire game. She'd probably be knocking on the door at 10 rebounds a game. I would almost know? no doubt and that. Heels would probably be about, up around four probably. And, and those are definitely player of the year type numbers. Now, obviously, there's a couple other girls here, but uh, you know, I talk about Grace, and I guess I'll stay in that. I know, I know you guys will probably have arguments for these girls as well, but I'll, I'll just start off the argument for Olivia Lowe. Um, for for how much we saw to her other last two seasons, we had her on the podcast this year. Thousand career points, thousand career rebounds, Division Four. I mean, twenty seventh girl in you know the state to ever have that happen. Um, fifth or sixth from the area up here, but. I mean, we've seen her for the last two years basically be the Leland Comets and kind of do everything in the world that she can to keep that team running. I mean, we've seen her score 33 points in a 42-41 to 41 win for Leland, you know. And she consistently... She like 30 in the district final against Bel Air. Yeah, I mean, she, 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 she's a great basketball player. And, I mean, we had this argument last year, you know, where I, I think we kind of... Uh, I guess, I guess we didn't give Leland, we didn't give Leland all of the extra brownie points because of their competition, and we didn't give Lo, Olivia Lowe her extra brownie points because of the competition they would play at Division Four level. But after a couple of years, I think it's so hard to overlook what she's done uh, for that basketball team and exactly the stats she's been able to put up. Yeah, I mean her numbers are just mad. Eighteen and a half points per game, which I think you know she could have probably averaged more than that if she just really wanted to. But 15.2 rebounds per game. 15.2. That's, that's more than, I think, for a game more than the next highest average in all the other schools that we cover. And it's like, I don't care who you are. If you're, if you're getting, I don't care what, who you play for, where you are. If you're getting 15 rebounds a game, you are putting in some work. Yeah. And then 3.8 steals a game and 2.1 blocks a game. And, oh, she's going to play college basketball at Hope College. And she's an all-state volleyball player, and she's an MHSA scholar athlete, yeah, scholarship winner. So, our division four, she got first team all-state, correct? Yes, and the basketball team that was just announced today, the uh, one that we can talk about. We can talk about that one because that one's been released. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. first team all-state. She's the lone first team all-stater from uh, Northern Michigan. I found it interesting. The only team to basically give Bel Air a game in the playoffs. Uh, Leland and Saginaw Devel both had first team All State players on it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we got a couple of these other girls here. I mean, with Ellen Bretsky, I mean, I already kind of made a little bit of an argument for Molly, her being the returner. I mean, we, we know that she averaged really good with assists and points last year, but she moved over to that point guard spot. Her numbers dipped a little bit. Um, any argument for her this year? Uh, her, her averages were 16 points a game, five rebounds, and three assists. It's not. The Molly Anderson we saw last year, that was like such a prolific score. But at the same time, every coach had to plan ahead of a plan in place for her to stop her. Because you know she could do that based on what she had last year. Um, I mean, Trevor State Central coach Greg Farmer compared her to, to Margot Wuther. You know, she is that player for the Big North Conference and was still that player this year, even as a point guard. Yeah, I mean, she actually averaged more points this season than she did last season as our player of the year at the point guard position. Just because, you know, she does so much for that Cadillac team as a leader, you know. Just the size of the schools that she was going up against. like. Yeah, she's had an incredibly winning career here those last couple of seasons. And, and with players kind of coming and going, uh, you know, they haven't had the same team around her those years. And, and it's just it's the big North Conference. I mean, she does it. She did it. She, she, like I said, she did it without McKenna Bryant this year, who was our like overall record eagle female female athlete of the year last year. Got a little bit more points, not not as many rebounds or assists this year, but I, that's why I said I still think there's an argument for her as to be a back to back player of the year. I mean, that's what three losses in two years with her at the helm. Mm-hmm. The other two that uh, you were going to mention, uh, Ellen Bretsky from Benzie Central, she averaged sixteen point nine points per game, nine point nine rebounds, three assists, three steals, and one point four blocks per game. And then uh, Charlevoix's Taylor Petrosky averaged eighteen point four points, three assists, 
nine rebounds, three steals, and just a little over a half a block per game. And shot 85% from the free throw line. And Petrovsky's not very tall, is she? I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be mistaken. She's not huge. I mean, you know, she's point guard. And, uh, and, you know, Lauren Shepard, their second best player, played half the season with a dislocated shoulder. I'm just sitting here thinking nine rebounds and, you know, about over a half a block a game from a point guard is nothing to scoff at. No. <laughs> I mean, that those numbers for Petrosky are better than, uh, you know, Molly Anderson's at Cadillac. Once again, competition you have to take into effect. Uh, but, I mean, if you put those side by side, Petrosky as a point guard is going to probably overtake Molly Anderson in this conversation, no? Well, yeah, the rebounding numbers are very different. Um, you know, Taylor Petrosky did a lot of the rebounding, and she was – the leading rebounder for Charlevoix um, this season, whereas uh, Molly Anderson had the luxury of having Macy Brown, who I think she came in, wasn't a huge scorer this year, but was a good defender. You know, yeah, She uh, came off the bench and did very, very well for them. Yeah, and averaged like six boards a game. Um, you know, So she gave them that, that toughness underneath the basket um, that Charlevoix didn't necessarily quite have. Yeah. And that I mean, so now that's and and you're looking at basically that's four seniors that we're looking at with Petrosky, Anderson, Bretzky, and Lowe, and then a junior in Grace Bradford. I think Bradford was right up there in the conversation with Olivia Lowe last year, um, and Molly Anderson last year, and I mean, so was uh, so was Ellen Bretzky. I mean, all, all three of these girls were or have been powerhouses over the last few years. Anderson, obviously a back-to-back. Taylor Petrosky. I mean, how, this is a hard decision, if you ask me. What are you guys? Where, where are you leaning? What are you guys thinking? The, I think the one thing that, at least for me, I think kind of everybody's got good stats. Everybody's got very good stats. The one thing that pops out to me is the one who has an insane stat, which is 15 rebounds per game. I've never seen a girl average 15 rebounds a game. Yeah. We, talk, mean, that, we talked around the podcast. He's what, 5'8"? Yeah. We asked her on the podcast, oh. like, are you focusing on just jumping oh. out of the gym or what? Yeah, it's not like she's six foot tall or anything. That's work. And put in, I mean, we saw her drop over 30 points in a couple of games this year, too. I think she did triple double like once or maybe once. Oh, I didn't put it past me. And we hit 1,000, 1,000. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I kind of like the Olivia Lowe pick. I, I think I was really on the Olivia Lowe bandwagon last season. And I think she ended up getting like second team after everything that went on. Yeah, she ended up getting second team last year. Back-to-back first-team All-State selection. You know, she averaged 20-and-a-half and 13-and-a-half last year. So she traded off whatever, that point-and-a-half for an extra rebound and a half a year. I mean, this is she, – she's almost four years with All-State selections. I mean, she, she's, been a, she's been a dominant force in Division Four. I know that, yeah. obviously, Leland, Leland as a team didn't do as well as a couple of these other teams with Cadillac or Glen Lake uh, per se, but I, yeah. I, like, I think you make a good argument. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I like this quote from our coach, Ryan Knudsen, that he said, it's one of those things where this group of seniors in particular, Olivia Tatum and Mia, Tatum Carrick and Mia Sorio, have been on varsity for four years. The amount our program has improved over four years, when you, co- when you can come in and compete against a team like Bel Air and be right with them right to the end, obviously a lot, a lot to be proud about. And, you know, the, Leland could have won that game with Bel Air. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that... it was tug of war. It don't get closer than that. I know Olivia Lowe is like literally a huge. She was like, like what was it forty three to forty two in overtime, and she scored like thirty of those points. Belair was obviously out two of their best players with J.C. Summers and Katie Decker. I would have loved to see that uh, Olivia Lowe, um, J.C. Summers matchup with two really really tall players. But I don't even really think it would change my decision based on the, the regular season she had. You know, I'm gonna have to side with James on that one. Yeah, I I, I guess I'll put it. And the little the little dip you mentioned in uh, in scoring, I, I guess I can accept that because they added, uh, you know, they had sophomore Maeve Sweeney on the on the team this year, and she provided them with an actual a secondary scorer that they necessarily haven't had the last couple of years. It's been all Olivia. So yeah. I mean, Sweeney came in, and gave them somebody who could average eight, close to ten a game, and so that can be a you know a reason for the downtick in the in the points per game. Brad Fisher didn't even want Leland to lose that game. Like it's just it was that emotion. Like everyone on the floor was crying in the gym at Bel Air High School. I so I, I'll put it this way, and James, I think you brought up a really, really good point. And I hate, I really, really hate that this is kind of what it comes down to. Because if Grace Bradford plays 
as much as Olivia Lowe, which is pretty much every minute of the game, no matter how it is, because Leland was never up 26 points in the second quarter like Glenn Lake was. Um, if Grace Bradford plays all four quarters, all whatever 22 games that they had, I'm interested to see how it stacks up. I know I'm, I'm almost positive she'd have more than that double double. I mean, she was sitting, she's teetering right there. She'd be was, sitting at 10. Yeah, because she was like 16 and nine and point something. Seven and a half boards. Exactly. So, like, she, I feel like she'd get up there. And, uh, but I, I'm, I mean, if you guys are comfortable with it, I, I think I am too. I, I'm okay with putting Olivia Lowe as our girls' player of the year this year. Grace Bradford had a close, close, close second. Like, if we, if we had co players of the year, can we and, do that? And a first team that is loaded. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. A first team that is not only loaded, but is making that second team loaded because there's going to be good players on that second team when it comes out, too. Yeah. So, and Grace Bradford's still a junior. She can do this next year, too. Yeah. 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 So it's hers to lose next year. Right. It, I mean, that, that's going to be probably well, be, uh, two straight first team selections for us um, at the very least. So, definitely excited to see what happens there. But, congratulations, Olivia Lowe. Everybody else. Keep a lookout over the coming weeks. Those teams are getting put together and being finalized. Um, and we'll be in a Sunday edition of the Record Eagle in the coming weeks. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled. We're going to be doing all of our all-region teams coming up soon. Hockey, wrestling, basketball for boys and girls, and skiing. We'll all be out over the next five or six weeks. But we have one more to talk about now. We have to talk about the boys. You know, we get Olivia on the girls' side. Very well-deserving. Over a double-double average at Leland. Now we got to go to the boys. This is just as hard, if not a harder decision. Because I actually have six guys here as finalists to talk about. And, hey, I think that this could get interesting. I, I think that... Think about that. You have, you, have, you have six guys that we're talking about for player of the year. Yeah. Well, one of those isn't going to make the dream team. <laughs> right? And that's what we said. There's not, even a, there's not even a clear front runner. That's why we're having this conversation. So I'll put these six out there, and I'll let you guys start the conversation this time. I, I kind of led the way on the girls, and we I don't want to guide anything too far. I'll let you guys start the conversation. But here's our list. Elk Rapids, Preston Ball. Frankfurt's Jack Stefanski. Charlevoix's Evan Solomon. Manton's Caleb Moore. Leland's Gavin Miller. And Mancelona's Jaden Alfred. I know, once again, all these guys have some crazy stats. You guys lead the way. And let's see who, who you guys are kind of pointing at as the favorites. Yeah, I would I would throw in Petoskey's J.J. Marshall in there, too. But it's just another guy to make it even crowded, even more crowded and more crazy. So, you know, I, I think um, one guy to start with is the guy who is the leading scorer in our area, which is uh, Caleb Moore from Manton. He averaged 23.5 points per game, which is, I think, two more than the next closest player. There are like four assists and four steals. He's a really good free throw shooter. He gets to the line a lot. And, you know, aside from Luke Puffer averaging around 10 points a game and, uh, and some occasional other games from other guys, uh, it, it was pretty much he had to do everything. And I, I can see that. The only, the only thing, and I, I'm, once again, I hate to really, like, penalize anybody for this, is that men only played 11 games this year. Yeah, they got, I, got hit, I got hit with quarantines a couple times. Yeah, so... The, the the small sample size, right, for 23.5 points, all these stats, averages, going to give him a tiny bit of it. Not, not quite the advantage because, hey, if you have one bad game, you're done for. But the smaller yeah. sample size definitely gives he, less he chance had, for that. He and he had two weeks off in the middle of the season. Yeah. And then came out of that and scored like, I can't remember what it was, like 35 points in his very next game. So some, I was just saying, something to keep in mind is that I think the man out of all these teams played the le- least games. Yeah, I do believe so, yeah. So, I mean, just average-wise, average-wise. Everybody else, I think, out of these finalists played a pretty complete season or as, about as many games as you would expect a team to have gotten in in this season. Yep, yep, I think so as well. I think Mancelona had one game canceled with Ellsworth at the end of the season, which was just because of, hey, we just don't want to take a risk, you know? It wasn't for any big, big reason. Yeah, Leland, yeah, Mancelona had a, a, a couple games, I think, and then, uh, you know, Leland had a bunch of games that they played without a bunch of kids, but they didn't have any games that they missed yeah i mean i guess i'll, I'll kind of bring up i just said something about mancelona i'll bring up Jaden alfred as a as a good candidate here i mean we've talked about him for the last couple of years he's been one of the more explosive scorers more explosive players in the area um he's quite literally the straw that stirs mancelona's drink and has been for four years i think brian sheridan said it best literally like 
this kid, what, what this kid did for the program at Mancelona just to like be like, hey, there's actual people who can play basketball here. Everybody just take notice is almost enough to put him in this conversation alone. What was his averages this season, James? Uh, he averaged 19.6 points and 11 rebounds. I, I think those are in conference play. I think his overall numbers were a little lower because he had a couple of games towards the end of the season that were non-conference games that he played with that sprained ankle. Um, his overall stats, I think, were like 17.6 points and like 10 rebounds. So you're still averaging a double-double, even probably while injured, um, and helping Mancelona win a share of the Ski Valley Conference for the first time, in, well, anything as a first conference time. title for the first time in school history. So that's yeah. that's another really big thing that he did this year and helped them tremendously throughout the last four. 1,000 points, over 600 rebounds, and over 50 dunks in his high school career. Um, what, what, what do you guys think about, uh, say, somebody like uh, Evan Solomon, who we know was a, another guy who was – up there in the 20s for a lot of the season for a one-loss Charlevoix team. Yeah, his numbers are also, you know, right up there. Yeah, so Evan Solomon averaged 17.2 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.1 steals, hit 1,000 points for his career this season. Is only a junior still. Yeah, he's the only one on this list who is a junior. And he played part of this game, or part of the season with a, like a knee sprain. So he also had a, a, a few games in there where I don't think he scored as much as he necessarily would have if he was completely healthy. Well, and he had so, Jacob Mueller on his team, too. Don't forget, Jacob Mueller was dropping 25 to 30 points a game, too, so that's a lot of production. And Solomon wasn't himself because of that knee. Mueller really stepped up. Uh, Mueller, had, Mueller had himself a nice season. I mean, he averaged 14 points, almost 10 boards, almost two blocks, hit 1,000 points, too. Yeah. And I, he'll definitely be up there in our, in our list, but not in the player, player of the year conversation. I mean... Andrew, I know there's a couple other guys here. Jack Stefanski, Preston Ball, Gavin Miller. Any of them pique your interest as somebody who could be a, probably a, a player of the year? You know, Preston Ball had a heck of a career at Elk Rapids. I can, no one can deny that. Obviously finished over 1,000 points. Took Glenn Lake right to the very end in that playoff game. Well, like when you bring up Preston Ball, him and, I, I mean, there's a, actually the, the, all three of these guys, Jack Stefanski, Preston Ball and Gavin Miller, I feel like I've covered them all a considerable amount over the last you know, few years that I've been here. And I hear the same thing from opposing coaches after each game about those particular players. And are like, man, that kid is a nightmare to guard. And I think I heard the same thing from opposing coaches when Frankfurt lost or won or when Preston Ball did really faced off against anybody, they would go, this kid is just a nightmare for us to prepare for. He has been for years. I'm, it's not that I'm happy to see him go, but or is it, what is it? I hate, to, I hate to see him go, but I'm happy to watch him leave, right? Because they don't have to prepare mm-hmm. for these kids anymore. Uh, and, I mean, these guys are mismatches in themselves. You know Preston Ball, he's averaging upwards towards 20 points a game. He can literally take over a game and win games for Elk Rapids, make baskets from all over the floor. I mean, he can, he can just pull up and put it in your eyeball if he, if he really wants to. Gavin Miller... His rebounding and uh, shot-making ability from inside out is, is pretty awesome. I mean, he's got to be pretty close to a double-double on his averages, no? Yeah, 20.5 points a game and 9.6 rebounds, plus another two-and-a-half steals. So he's, like, literally right there on that cusp. And he had J.J. Pop. And that's what, if you look at, you know, we're looking at these at these teams, right? And um, for the most part, you know, you see Caleb Moore, Jaden Alfred, maybe Jack, Jack Stefanski. They're, they were kind of like their, their big cog, but Preston Ball had Mason Travis. You know, somebody else who was really good there. Evan Solomon, Jacob Mueller, you know, another good one-two punch. You, Jacob, or Gavin Miller, J.J. Pop. You really think that teammates do make these guys better? Mm-hmm. To go uh, back to the, uh, Preston Ball and his uh, statistics, uh, he averaged 19.9 points a game, 4.9 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 3.3 steals. He shot 79% from the free throw line and 39% from three. That's like a Steph Curry clip. That's pretty good. Surprisingly, uh, going through these statistics from the season, I think that the highest three-point percentage of anybody in our area is somebody that's going to completely shock you. Oh, tell me. It is Jacob Mueller. Is it? He's like 47, 46%. He's got a good jump shot. And he, he seems like he took it. And teams leave him open. Yeah, and he takes smart shots when it happens. And he's, and he's tall, so it's not contested. Now, now one guy we haven't talked about very much, and I – I think that we might have done this, I don't know, uh, on purpose. But Jack Stefanski from Frankfurt, I mean, I got to see him make that deep run with Frankfurt yet again. You know, he is, I, I'll put, I think he's the biggest mismatch in northern Michigan. Probably has been for some time playing at the Division Four level. 
him being six foot seven and literally being able to play, score, defend, and basically excel at any position on the court um, kind of makes him a problem matchup. What was his stats this season? Uh, 20.4 points, 10.1 rebounds. 3.8 of those were offensive rebounds every game. You're getting almost four offensive boards, four extra possessions every game because of Jack Stefanski. That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that that those those for a one-two punch are actually – he's the only one who's actually averaging over a double-double, correct? Uh, an, an actual double-double, yeah. Yeah, everybody's like 9.6 or 9.4 rebounds. Alfred is. Okay, oh, that's right, that's right. So – I mean, it's tough though. I mean, I've seen Jack play in the deep, the deep throngs of the playoffs, get down to uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and not melt at all. I mean, he scored 31 points against Mount Pleasant Sacred Heart in the loss in the quarterfinals, when you know they had two guys who combined for over 50. I mean, you can just see that he's like, I'm gonna keep doing this for my team, and no matter what happens, I mean, he he's he's hard. It's, this is a hard choice. Yeah, and he's just, and he's a hard guy to guard, guard because he can do everything. Mm-hmm. And he can facilitate. He can score. He can he can post you at, post you up. He can just go and let somebody else shoot it and get the offensive board and get putbacks. And he can shoot threes. Like what on offense can he do? Yeah, honestly, I think the, the majority of his shots aren't right at the rim. The majority of them are either floaters or like little ten foot jumpers. Yeah, he likes the mid range jumper. Yeah, at six foot seven, so that's a that's a big mismatch. So I don't know, boys. Uh, this is gonna be a really tough one to put out there right now. I do you guys have a vote? I think I know who I'm gonna vote for, but I don't know if I want to put it out there first. And that seventh guy is J.J. Marshall. Yeah. He averaged 17.8 points in the Big North Conference, plus 4.3 assists, 3.1 steals. Yeah. Uh, in the Big North Conference. Yeah, our, our biggest, toughest one. Yeah. So, I don't know, boys. What do we do here? It's tough. Team Alfred. I, 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 I'm, I, you know, if you look at that, you go, you know, two double-doubles, two, two four-year guys, right, with Jaden Alfred, Jack Stefanski. Two four-year guys who have literally changed the trajectory of their basketball programs, especially according to their coaches. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give my vote to Jack Stefanski, and I'm gonna give it to him because he has been able to lead Frankfurt into the deep throws of the playoffs each of the last couple of years that they've been um, on the way. He he's been able to show up in huge games. Those numbers obviously are nothing to scoff at. And he's done it with different guys around him over the last three years, and he's consistently been the guy that we've always talked about, basically really in the Northwest Conference and at Frankfurt over the last four years. And Frankfurt's the team that's made the deepest postseason runs out of boys' basketball each of the last two years we've had playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, I mean he was one of the guys who willed that team to the state finals as a, you know, as a sophomore. And, uh, I mean, it was basically him and Will Newbold and they were the ones who ran that show. Uh, I mean, he was only a sophomore, and he was still on the on the state level, putting up big numbers, and then kept doing it as a junior and then as a senior. And I, I don't have any problem with Stefanski being the player of the year. Yeah, and I, I, I the one thing I, I'll just make this this argument for Alfred, and is that obviously I, I wish that he had a little bit more help around him to possibly get deeper into the playoffs or maybe when it comes to the playoff, have everybody around, you know, but there's, there's, I don't think there's anything against Jaden Alfred. Uh, the, the numbers are just a little bit better for Jack and the team has done just a bit better in terms across the board over the last few years and pinnacling up to a senior year. I think, I think Jack is, is my pick. Yeah. I, I, Alfred, I tell you, is a fun player to watch because you just, you never know when that dunk is coming. Actually, you know, it's coming. You just don't know when it's going to be, but I mean, or how explosive. And sometimes it's on the break. Some, I mean, I've seen him take guys off the dribble in half court offense and throw it down, which in high school you just don't see happen. Dunks are almost always on the break. Somebody dunking on a half court offense is not much. I mean, aside from Sean Burnham's uh, or, or Josh Burnham's uh, putback dunk that he had, but. Yeah. Uh, you don't. You just don't see much in half court. So you know, Jaden Alford is always worth the price of admission every night. Yeah, and I know. I know. He, I, I really hope they both have a, uh, or all all these guys have very successful college careers. But it looks like a two to one vote. Andrew's voting for Jaden. James and I are both voting for Jack. And uh, we got a split decision on the player of the year for the boys. We didn't go unanimous like the girls. But congratulations to Jack Stefanski, our 2020-2021 boys record eagle basketball player of the year. 
Keep a lookout for those teams. As I said earlier, they'll be coming out over the coming weeks. And Jack and Olivia, keep a lookout for our photographers who will be hitting you up. Hey. So, yeah, yeah that segment is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. So that's going to move us into the Hall of Fame, our, one of our favorite segments here at the Get Around, where we put another athlete into the most exclusive club in northern Michigan for a great performance last week. I know we had a breath of great performance last week. Let's go ahead and put a couple of athletes up. I will start off with Lauren Bingham from Elk Rapids. She scored five goals in a game against Traverse City St. Francis last week. Yes, five goals in one game. That's always a good day uh, for a soccer player. Almost two hat tricks. Like, come on, girl. Maybe that happened twice last week. Somebody else Jordan, did that too? Jordan Noble did it against Harbor Springs too. Oh, lordy. Oh, lordy. Yeah. I was almost going to put both of them up, and then I didn't want to do two. <laughs> All right, who's next? Uh, I'm going to put up Asia Taylor from Manton. You know, she's their, she's their catcher, and she was six for six. This is a double header they played against Sutton's Bay. She was six for six with a home run, six RBIs, five runs scored, and seven steals. The biggest set is steals there. <laughs> Seven steals in, in two games. Yeah, so every time she got on base, she stole at least one, plus some. Yeah, one of them was a home run, so one time she didn't get a chance to steal any bases. So she stole seven bases on five on five hits. All righty, what about you? What are you doing, uh, Andrew? Who are you putting up? I'm going to go with Wyatt Danielavich, Louisville guy, right? Yep. Uh, two home runs, four RBIs, and a triple against Gold Lake from downstate. I'm new to northern Michigan, but I hear they're a pretty good team. Also scored four runs in that game. So, and and, and, it, and, and the thing is, I mean, we knew that he was a good pitcher coming into this because that's what Louisville recruited him for is because he's a lefty who can throw in the 80s. Um, but he has been one of the big bats this season for TC West, like all season. All right, let's put up to a vote. Who are we, who are we putting up, gentlemen? I, uh, I kind of like the performance from Asia Taylor. Six for six, six RBIs, five runs, seven stolen bases. That's just, that's too much. Yeah, that's put up a lot of numbers. That is a, a lot of also like Asia Taylor stats. Yeah, that, that that's a ball. Seven steals is like from a catcher. Yeah, that that's that's on, that's on Hannah Solomon levels, right? So I say, sounds like Asia Taylor is our vote for the week. Congratulations to Manton's Asia Taylor for her great performance this weekend against Suns Bay. Six for six home runs, six RBIs, five runs, and seven stolen bases. That's an exciting weekend for the Manton Rangers. Let's go into our final. Segment of the episode, our trifecta, which is a fun one. Andrew came up with this one this week with the recent boom in cryptocurrencies and Dogecoin going to the moon. We decided what's going to name our own cryptocurrency. You actually can make your own cryptocurrency right now if you wanted to. If it, you're like really good at coding and stuff. Yeah, and it just, it just depends on basically uh, if anybody would use your cryptocurrency, but they probably wouldn't. We're going to see what we would name ours. Uh, Andrew, your question, your prompt. Let's have you go first. What would you name your cryptocurrency if it was uh, something that you could name? Brownie points. Brownie points. Brownie points. You always heard from people, oh, you got brownie points for doing this. Bonus. But I, I, yeah, I would, I would name my cryptocurrency brownie points just because, like, I want that heard on the news. Like, oh, you can, bro- you can buy 500,000 brownie points. Okay. James, what about you? You got anything? Mine would be cookies. Name cookies. Wow, cookies and brownies. Selling cookies. Selling cookies. See, mine would be because it's my name. And who doesn't like cookies? You're right, cookies. I like it. How much would uh, cookies open up for on uh, Robinhood stock exchange? You know, because Dogecoin was what a quarter of a percent. Quarter of a penny. Quarter of a penny. Yeah, I don't know if they're Girl Scout cookies. They I mean they would be like four dollars a box. You buy you buy stock, you get a box. Yeah, I'd like it. Okay. I, I, this is actually a playoff of my cash app name, but I think this is what it would be. is uh, either like Catnip's Cash or Catnip Coin, with my nickname being Catnip and all. Call it Catnip. Just call it Catnip. But I'd, I'd, I'd call it like Catnip Coin or like Catnip Cash or I something like that. Add the to it. Like that's been done too much. That's why I said Catnip Cash. Make it cash. Yeah. Catnip Cash, baby. Because Catnip is just like the drug for cats, so like got to sp- specify somehow. So that works. Alrighty, well, invest in some Catnip Cash and... Some cookies and brownie points making me hungry. I have to go to the bakery after this episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have uh, the Record Eagle sports crew on Robin Hood soon. Yeah, hopefully we'll IPO it. We'll IPO it. But um, before you waste all your money on our cryptocurrencies, we'll, we'll kick you out of this episode. We will get you done with episode 172. As always, make sure you like, retweet, share, comment, gif us, whatever it may be. We'll get you entered in to win some free Jimmy John subs. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. 
all the above at TCRE Sports, at Jake Adnip, at James Cook 14, and at by Andrew R., our rising star journalist here at the Record Eagle. Make sure you give him a follow. Congratulations to our, our guy over here. He did win the AP Rising Star Award. I uh, forgot to mention, I don't know if that happened last week or whenever, but congratulations to our guy. like Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for uh, all the hard work that you do, and thank you to all of our listeners for being here once again. That's episode 172. We'll see you next week for 173. Have a good one.